Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this on Tuesday, December 3rd, 2019. Um, lots of animation news has broken, Drew, since you and I recorded our, our last podcast. Uh, first and foremost, the Annie nominations. Yeah. And then Frozen 2, you know, who was number one at the box office again this past weekend. Um, <laughs> by the way, uh, speaking of, of frozen things, we, uh, at least back here in the Northeast, uh, we're dealing with a snowstorm that started on Sunday night and is still continuing. Um, how many, in- how many inches are we talking about, Jim? Well, I, I'm looking at it, my front deck, which right now appears to have like 15 and storm isn't due to end till sometime this afternoon. And... You know, so it's, it's, you know, suddenly I'm not quite as enthusiastic as I once was, you know, Frozen 2, because now it's real. Now i got to go out and shovel it. Um, but uh, speaking of Sunday night, did you catch The Simpsons this past Sunday night? I did. I did. I actually watched it after you had brought it up uh, when we mm-hmm. were talking yesterday. So, yeah, yeah it was really yeah. interesting. For those of you who didn't catch the show, this was a, a Flanders-specific show. In fact, what was the title? Todd, Todd, Why Hast Thou Forsaken Me? And it was about Ned Flanders' son Todd having a crisis in faith. But um, Well, did you notice the intro was was the Flanderses? And then right, right underneath it, it said, Now Owned by Disney. Well, you know, I mean, I have to admit, I, I, I love that because from what, I, uh, what I've been hearing, the folks at Gracie Films... Um, have basically been told, look, if you want to make fun of Disney, make fun of Disney. Feel free to lean into this. This supposedly comes down from on high, from, from Iger's office, as in, you know, I want to be able to show to the world that Disney has a sense of humor about itself. And there's this kind of weird parallel between Michael Eisner supposedly told Jim Henson, you know, back when Disney first was trying to, you know, had begun the acquisition in, what, late 89, early 1990. And it was just the whole notion of, no, just be the Muppets. Just make fun of Disney as much as you want. So, um, you know, that, that, that for example, is why... Did you ever see that 35th anniversary special for Disneyland where uh, it was actually directed by John Landis and they had Miss Piggy as Cinderella? No, Oh, yeah, you, you, you have to chase Walt this Walt Disney World 30th anniversary? There you go. Okay. Uh, 35th. 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 Okay. And, and John, Landis you know, didn't, John Landis didn't kill any of the Muppets while directing this, <laughs> did he? There, there was no helicopter involved. Okay. But, but thank okay. you for, for bringing that up. God. Uh, well, we're starting on a high note here, folks. Uh, but, uh, you know, anyway, the other thing I've been hearing in regard to The Simpsons is... You know, of course, we talked on, I think, on the last episode about the first couple of seasons episodes were reframed for the letterboxing thing, and they've announced, okay, in 2020, we'll get them back in the original format. But um, they're still talking about, I guess, the folks at Disney's new subscription streaming service are just kind of astounded at, at how well The Simpsons are doing, you know, how many episodes are being downloaded and watched. Right. Uh, so. Well, they're not downloading Noel. So, <laughs> people got to download something. Oh, you had to bring up the will. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've been trying to do my due diligence, folks. I've done the Imagineering documentary. I've done the Mandalorian. Uh, and so, I was trying to circle back on some of the, the high-profile uh, first-month shows. So, 
first and foremost, got to see a, a Lady and the Tramp, uh, the redo, which was was solid. You know, I mean, well produced. Uh, you know, it, interesting update, giving Lady a much more active role in her story. You know, overall, like the production values of it. I, you know, um, on the other hand, Noel, um, which. I think Drew and I have talked about previously. This is a script that Disney's had for what, four or five years? Yeah, um, and I think it was supposed to open theatrically two years ago. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, it was on the was, calendar. Wow, well, was it produced at that point, or just sort of? Yeah, like, it was. You know, yeah, I, re- I remember they did a set visit for it a couple of years ago, where people actually wow. came out and visited the set. And then they were like, well, that movie's going... I don't know if those set visits actually uh, ended up running anywhere, but yeah, Ooh, they were like, okay, hmm. well, it's going to be Disney Plus instead. I mean, I think that that probably should have been the decision they made for Nutcracker, too, mm-hmm. but I think there was too much merchandise already in the pipeline for that one. They kind mm-hmm. of had to release it. Yeah, um, I get that. I yeah, get that. But, but. I mean, if you don't want to watch your holiday programming on Disney Plus, you can always go over to Freeform at least, right? Well, and, and, and in fact, it's interesting you mention that because um, Freeform, and, and again, getting back to the whole, you know, Disney celebrating The Simpsons, I think we mentioned part of their uh, 31 Days of Halloween program event, the sort of bookend for the 25 Days of, of Halloween event. Uh, they were doing a Simpsons uh, Treehouse of Horror marathon, several of them over the course of, of October. And it turns out that, you know, for December, they're, they're also doing Simpsons holiday-a-thons, where they, they group uh, four of the holiday episodes together and, you know, we'll do a two-hour block. There was one that ran on December 1st, another on December 3rd, and uh, it, it, well, that'll be later today, and then one that's running tomorrow afternoon. Um, but what's kind of intriguing to me is, you know, so here's The Simpsons, and again, they're, they're putting them in the front window on Disney Plus in free form. Have you seen what they're doing with Family Guy? No, I haven't. Well, <laughs> that's that's because Family Guy seems to only air on Freeform after midnight. And in fact, what I found intriguing, it typically shows up on Tuesdays, and it'll run after the 700 Club, which... I'm trying not to read too much into. Um, that know. is hilarious. I, I I have to admit. Can you, can you recap people on on the Seven Hundred Club uh, issue or or controversy or whatever? Well, you know, again, when Disney bought uh, the Family Channel, away from Pat Roberts Broadcasting uh, facility, one of the terms of the the contract there was that they had to continue to air the Seven Hundred Club. Twice daily, and I, I want to say, does it air like at eleven o'clock in the morning, and then again at eleven o'clock at night? Yeah, I was or... just looking at the freeform guide right mm-hmm. now, which they're airing Rise of the Guardians later today, Jim. So if you get sh- snowed in, you've got a great underrated <sighs> animated film to watch. But um, yeah. yeah, it's like in the morning and at night they mm-hmm. they do it, and and this was a contractual obligation. Yeah, okay. and in fact, the title cards that they put up prior to the 700 Club just basically say to the effect of, okay, we're, we're obligated to air this, and, you know, try not to burn down the place while we're, while we're gone. Because, remember, you know, the whole conceit of Freeform is the, what, the Becomers, the, 
age 14 to 28, I want to say. Right. Um, Becomers, yes. But but when we're talking about Freeform like, and its 25 Days of, of Christmas programming event, it's, it's worth noting that this year they scored something kind of huge uh, as part of that programming block, which is the cable broadcast rights, uh, the exclusive cable broadcast rights, mind you, to the Rankin-Bass specials, Frosty the Snowman, and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And this is kind of intriguing because for years these have been, it only aired on CBS. Uh, You know, they had the exclusive network rights locked up. Uh, In fact, this past Friday, Frosty aired, it was the 50th anniversary of that Rankin Bass uh, special airing, and uh, you know, it debuted. What is it? Uh, December seventh, nineteen sixty nine. Beloved by the eighteen to to forty nine demographic, and uh, you know, they they can count on it doing steady numbers year in year out. Um, but what's kind of intriguing is how Freeform wound up with these rights. Drew, I mean, it, it, have you ever? tuned in when they were running those those weird Rudolph sequels like Rudolph Shiny New Year. Um, yeah, and wasn't there like Frosty Returns and things? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, what, uh, Frosty's Winter Wonderland. That's, right. that's when, when he meets his wife. And, uh, and in fact, I think the one that always... Uh, oh, it's terrible. You know, the Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July, this is literally a 90-minute long stop motion show i mean it don't get me wrong it's you know if you're you're a fan of that 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 style of animation it's got some beautiful stuff it's got some wonderfully designed characters but it's got the worst story in the history of 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 christmas specials but anyway uh last year the mc network swooped in and they have their own programming event i guess it's called the best christmas ever and they uh stole out from under disney the broadcast rights to not only those three Rankin Bass specials, but but also a lot of their lesser-known specials. I mean, are, are, are you familiar with Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey, Drew? I do remember Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey. I mean, I vaguely, I cannot tell you one specific thing about it, but... Oh, okay, how about the Leprechaun's Christmas Gold? That one ring a bell? That one, uh, no, does not ring a bell. Oh, uh, well, the last of them, and again, this was a longer one of the bunch... Uh, the Life and Adventures of Santa Claus. This one came out in 1985. It's based on the L. Frank Baum book. And what's kind of interesting is uh, Rankin Bass actually brought it to the market in December of 85 because they were thinking, wow, Disney's bringing out Return to Oz in the summer of 85. And there's going to be a lot of interest in L. Frank Baum stuff. So we should be ready. We should have a special you know, based around an L. Frank Baum story. And we all remember what happened to Return to Oz. Um <laughs> But anyway, what's kind of interesting, Life and Adventures of Santa Claus is the very last of the stop-motion shows that, that Rankin Bass did. In fact, uh, they, they actually closed down their production arm in March of 1987. And then it just gets kind of interesting. Um, Warner Brothers acquires the bulk of the Rankin Bass film library, with the exception of the original Rudolph and Frosty special, along with The Little Drummer Boy and Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Uh, that's the one with Fred Astaire and all that. That one's good. Uh, okay, so how did Freeform end up with the broadcast rights to these specific specials? Uh, again, the original Rudolph, the original Frosty, and then The Little Drummer Boy, which, by the way, 
<laughs> is the most depressing Christmas special known to man. Have, have you ever seen that? I, I'm sure I've seen it, but I don't remember it. What makes it so depressing? Well, at one point, you know, you get the backstory of the little drummer boy, and you actually get to see the bandits that, that are out in the desert that kill his family. And in fact, at one point, you... I think I want to say they open a window or a door and they this really cliched like out of 1930s and 40s, you know, depiction of Arabs, you know, sort of leads into the camp like Rah! and then, you know, and then you cut away to the fam, you know, you hear the family being killed off off screen and it's just sort of like dear god. No. <laughs> no, I mean that's the thing. This is why the little drummer boy doesn't smile, all right, because his family's been killed by desert bandits. And it's one of these weird things where it's narrated by Greer Garson. It features, I swear to God, Drew, the Vienna Boys Choir. Um, oh, God. That, you know, did you see that that Vienna Boys Choir movie that Disney made in the 60s is on Disney Plus? Whatever that huh? horrible movie is. Oh, I mean, that's, this is... All right. Anyway, back to, back to Rudolph. So, um, okay. So, Freeform winds up in the rights with a, a really kind of convoluted story. Just basically, the original Rudolph airs on NBC. Uh, in fact, this year is the 55th anniversary of the, its debut. But it airs not as a standalone holiday special, but as an episode of what's known as the General Electric Fantasy Hour. So GE retained certain rights to this show because it, it went out initially under the, the, the Fantasy Hour label. So in 1971, General Electric used this, these rights as leverage to persuade Rankin-Bass to sell them outright that animation studio's four most famous and popular holiday specials. So again, that's the original Rudolph from 64, The Little Drummer Boy from 68, Frosty the Snowman from 69, and finally Santa Claus Comes to Town from 1970. And which explains why in the mid-1970s, we get all of these shows like Rudolph's Shiny New Year or... I swear to God, this exists through it. The Little Drummer Boy, book two. Because the uh, first which one... Is, little... Which is airing on ABC, <laughs> or, or on AMC this holiday season, Jim, if you want to <laughs> take a look. I was just looking up all the all the uh, showtimes for this, so... And, and that one actually kind of intrigues me, because that features, as one of the voices in the show, Zero Mistel. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. He's actually great fun and a really terrible special. Okay. Uh, but again, Shiny New Year, we get Frosty's Winter Wonderland, we get... Frosty and uh, Rudolph's and Frosty Christmas in July. And the idea of Rankin Bass is making these things with the hope that, well, you know, they're not the original, you know, but they, you know, they, but maybe the sequel will be the equal. And, the, you know, then the, you know, the, the networks will, will buy these things and, and re air them. Um, okay, we jump ahead to 1988, which is when Lauren Michaels, the producer of Saturday Night Live, uh, persuades GE to sell him. The rights to Rankin Bass's most famous and popular holiday specials, which Lauren then puts out on his Broadway video label. Um, okay. And then, okay, 96, Golden Books Family Entertainment purchases Broadway Video's Family Entertainment Library outright. And again, that did, among those titles is Rudolph Frosty, Little Drummer Boy, and Santa Claus Comes to Town. Uh, 2001, Golden Books Family Entertainment rebrands itself as Classic Media. In 2012, uh, DreamWorks Animation buys Classic Media and names this new arm of the company DreamWorks Classics. And then in 2016, 
DreamWorks Animation gets bought by NBC Universal, which brings us to 2018. Uh, AMC goes behind Disney's back and acquires the cable rights to all those lesser-known Rankin Bass specials from Warner Brothers. Uh, so, you know, which leaves Freeform kind of in the lurch. So, Disney has to fill this hole in Freeform schedule. So it reaches out to NBC Universal and inquires about whether the cable broadcast rights to Rudolph, Frosty, the Little Drummer Boy, and Santa Claus Comes to Town are available. And NBC Universal turns around, reaches out to CBS, uh, which again holds the network broadcast rights. And these two multimedia conglomerates reach an agreement that as long as Frosty and Rudolph get to air on CBS first each holiday season, and more to the point that a certain period of time passes before the Freeform, uh, Freeform airs these specials, I, I, I was told it's at, at least four days. Okay. Um, but again, you know, the, what, what to me was kind of intriguing is that uh, once these terms were agreed to, CBS had no problem with NBC Universal selling the cable rights to Frosty to Disney, who then aired these holiday specials in freeform. And I, I bring up the story because every so often, I mean, you, you've got to have heard the same rumors, Drew. You know, to the notion that Disney will every so often reach out to NBC Universal Comcast and inquire about the theme park rights to the Marvel characters. Right. And, you know, and and the story always is, is that, you know, the Universal Parks are making so much money out of the sale of merch, uh, you know, inside of Island Adventures, Marvel Superhero Island area, that this isn't just going to happen. But it's like, you know, you look at this Rankin-Bass deal that, that literally just happened this past May. You know, and, and face it, representatives of these two companies talk all the time, uh, especially now that Disney owns Fox and has become, you know, this absolute behemoth in the entertainment industry. And look, I'm not saying that Comcast or NBC Universal will surrender the theme park rights to Marvel anytime soon, but these two multi-billion dollar corporations cut deals and trade rights for things all the time. And, you know, and eventually Disney is going to have something that Comcast or NBC Universal really wants, like, Al Michaels. I mean, you remember that story. Oh, right? yeah. You know, you know which, again, is, as I understand it, really shook Al Michaels, you know, who was this veteran sportscaster who was at NBC and, you know, it, it had really achieved something, you know, in his time as a sports broadcaster. But here, what was it? Uh, NBC had just acquired the rights to, what was it, Sunday night fo football from yeah, the Yeah, I believe so, oh. yeah. Okay, and so, um, and you know, they wanted to assemble, you know, the the right broadcast team for that. So they they turned around to ESPN and said, you know, okay, so what would it take for you guys to release, uh, you know, Al Michaels from his contract? And so the folks at NBC go up the food chain to Disney management and say, okay, what would you want from them if they if we were going to release Al Michaels? And Disney management conferred and came back and said. We'd like the you know the copyright to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit back, which remember Walt lost in 1928 to what Pat Powers did the I, I want to say that's the guy who who had sort of signed you know had the character or took the character out from under Walt and then turned around and sold it to Universal right but yeah that that think about it Drew that was what 
78 years. Um, because again, what is it? 2000, February of 2006, Disney announces the deal for you know that Al Michaels can go to NBC if if Oswald comes back to Disney. I just um, want to know what lawyers came up with this idea. Like what? Like who who was sitting on this concept of having Oswald be traded for Al Michael? I mean, it's just it's ingenious. Whoever came up with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would I would be afraid to even bring that up, like in a meeting. Well, what if we traded him for Oswald? You know, but it worked. It did. It did. And and then we got Epic Mickey game, uh, which. And Epic Mickey 2, which you know, really didn't do, I think, what the company wanted. But Oswald back in the parks, and, you know, they've, they've got the merch. And, you know, you get the sense that the company is still looking for something new to do with that character. But, but face it, Disney, this proves Disney is patient. You know, they will wait decades if they have to. Um, but, you know, you know, and eventually there will be something that Comcast and NBC really, really needs. And if this year's Rudolph Frosty little drummer boy in Santa Claus coming to town deal is any indication, these two corporate giants will eventually come to terms at some point over Marvel. Well, yeah, I mean, they most recently they shared the rights to the um, M. Night Shyamalan movie Glass that came out earlier this year. That's right. And they're, and they're obviously right. still sharing the Hulk in some capacity. Um, but... Yeah, are you excited about a new DreamWorks Christmas special that's airing tonight? The new um, Dragons special? I wanted to talk about that, yeah, because I don't know if you've seen sort of parallel to that, that uh, around the country in, in various cinemas, there's a How to Train Your Dragon Flight Academy VR experience. No, that, you know I love yeah. gimmicky VR experiences, Jim. I can't believe well, this one passed me by. <laughs> Well, we'll definitely Google this because the, the idea is that it, I guess it's a ten or fifteen minute long experience, and and the notion is that Hiccup and his crew, you know, you you come to visit them in their world, and suddenly there are dragon poachers, and you get enlisted to join them on you know flying a dragon to fight the poachers, and you know it's just uh, for me what's kind of intriguing is that you know we've got Hidden World which came out this summer, we've got this now. Uh, How to Turn Your Dragon Homecoming TV special. We've got the VR Academy. And then on the far side of this, uh, in 2023, uh, 2023, excuse me, uh, we've got the Epic Universe theme park opening across the way from the Orange County Convention Center. And uh, Universal's kind of made no bones about the fact that that will include a How to Train Your Dragon land. Um... Are they going to be new attractions, or is it going to be stuff that's from like the Abu Dhabi park? Um, I, I'm <laughs> from what I've heard from from friends at Universal Creative. My understanding is this will all be brand new. That, oh, that, that cool. they're, do, that they're doing an outside version. I mean, remember the Abu Dhabi park? Uh, the, the DreamWorks thing is all inside of one giant show building because. Of course, you know the the that theme park, Cinemagic. Yeah, whatever it is, the okay. the, the most uh, poorly attended theme park I've ever seen in my life. If the videos are any indication, do you watch yeah. those videos? And there's like two people walking through it. Well, you know, I mean, I just I, I think also part of the problem there is that every single one of the lands, because of the ridiculous heat in in that region of the world. 
uh, everything has to be indoors and with the air conditioning set on stun. So their dragon flight attraction is coaster slash dark ride uh, that all takes place inside of this giant show building. And that's the difference between what Universal Creative is looking to do in Florida is they're doing a full-size version of the village of Burke that you, in sort of a Harry Potter sense, get to walk around in, and there will be two and three different ride experiences. I want to say one dark ride and one, you know, like Forbidden Journey or Escape from Gringotts size uh, ride experience, plus a spinner or two, you know, that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I guess for me, what kind of intrigues me is that it gets a little challenging to go from a you know, hidden world coming out this summer, uh, homecoming coming out this uh, this week. You know, in fact, it, it's also for those of you, you know, I, I'm hoping we get this show up quickly, but it is rerunning on the eighth at eight o'clock at night. So if you miss the the, the version that airs tonight, and then you know uh, this VR experience, but that's still four years to keep these characters front of mind. Um, you know, uh, before the park opens in, you know, Epic Universe opens in 2023. And um, I, for me, that, that that's also just what fascinates me about these big projects like Frozen 2, where uh, how you keep these characters front of mind so people then know uh, to go out to buy tickets and that sort of thing. And, and in fact, Drew, when, when we get back from our commercial break, we're going to talk a little bit about that, uh, about the, the promotion of Frozen 2. And we're back. Okay. Just to sort of recap here, obviously Frozen 2 has continued its record-breaking run at the box office. The Chris Buck Jennifer Lee movie just broke the record for the highest domestic gross ever achieved over the five-day long uh, long Thanksgiving weekend in North America alone. This Walt Disney Animation Studio production sold 123 million point seven worth of tickets, uh, bringing Frozen's domestic box office take to an estimated... $287 million, and as I understand it, Disney's own internal projections suggest that sometime today, Frozen will have sold over $300 million worth of tickets in just 12 days of domestic release, um, which, to put that in perspective, the original Frozen was released to theaters on November 27, 2013, and it wasn't until January 7, 2014, some 47 days later, that uh, that Walt Disney Animation Studios production was able to sell $300 million worth of tickets in North America. So, you know, and, and if you talk with the marketing people, there's a reason, you know, it's doing as well as it, it is because they, they spent two years putting together this sort of D-Day-sized promotional campaign. It involved, you know, so many different arms of the Walt Disney Company. And... I have to ask Drew, when you were there as as, as part of the company on, on you know in you know, working at Oh My Disney, was there any other film that got this sort of elaborate, you know, pre planning and push? No, and you want to actually know an interesting story that we were actually publishing quizzes about mm-hmm. kind of secondary Frozen characters and which ones people liked more. And Walt Disney Animation was taking that information and feeding it into the development of Frozen 2. Wow. Which is really kind of an interesting little story that I had forgotten about until now. But, you know, that's that's why it's like the trolls are in Frozen 2. 
mm-hmm. because they scored so high on this quiz that we put up on Oh My Disney, which is kind of mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, and that was that, that was 2015. So I yeah, I, so I, I I I'm kind of inferring by that that Wandering Oaken didn't do quite as well, <laughs> you know. But he's still I'm, he's still in there somewhere in the background. Isn't but he? he gets his whole like his own number in in the, the, in the, the, the Broadway musical yeah. version of Frozen Two, which by the way is opening at the Pantages. I know. Uh, you know what? Just this week or thereabouts. I gotta or, go. I gotta go. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, what's weird is that how they built the campaign. I mean, you know, they they went high end. I don't know if you saw. For example, the Saks Fifth Avenue thing uh, just last week where Adina Menzel showed up for the opening of the thing and they had a 50-person choir yeah. to unveil these six windows you know, facing onto Fifth Avenue. Well, and, I'm married to someone who used to do those windows, so yeah, we had to take a, we had to take a look and, and see what wow, that was. Like. What did Katie think? She liked it. I mean, she, she was there when it started. Her, one of her windows was the um, Cinderella windows. Do you remember that? No. Yeah, when they had all the Lily James dresses and everything. So oh, she was there okay. at the beginning of the kind of Disney uh, collaboration with Saks. So she she implemented a lot of the things that they still use today, which is kind of fun. So, yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Well, I guess what would also intrigue me about this one is they have up on the ninth floor what they're calling the Enchanted Forest Experience. And I, I guess in a weird sort of way, it's... It's it's a five dollar admission fee of plus tax, but it, it it's also whatever the whatever they raise from the sales of these tickets, uh, go to New York Presbyterian Children's Hospital. So it's like okay, well that I mean I I like that that's where the money's going, but it, they describe it as an immersive experience that lets participants relive Anna and Elsa's journey in the Enchanted Forest, where they then encounter the elements of earth, fire, water. Uh, and again, Earth again. I, I must have left off wind. Um, I, I'm assuming this is where you can get your Bruni, right? By the way, did your Bruni ever show up? Or no, did you send me a Bruni? Well, did, weren't you saying you were looking for? Oh, I was know, looking. I'm always looking for Bruni material, okay. but I have not. I've not found anything. But you know what? What this reminds me of too, that you bring it up, is do you remember when Barney's did that thing for the Mickey, the Paul Ruddish Mickey shorts? And, and there was a new short that you could only see at Barney's. Oh, that's right. Which was so cool. I, I don't know how many years ago that was, but I just remember going Barney's, which RIP is no longer is no longer with us. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, has been that's... sold off to uh, some kind of licensing agency that's selling it in sacks, which is hilarious. Mm. But that... well, speaking of which, you, you, did you hear? You know, there are so many empty storefronts right now. On Fifth Avenue, that you know, the the way they're they're getting around that for this holiday season is they're actually wrapping the exteriors of the empty stores so they look like giant you know gift boxes. No, so it it's festive, but you know it's kind of like you know a, a mouthful of false teeth. You know, it's <laughs> like so. Oh um, my God, that's depressing. I, I just thought that was, but again, you know, okay, so we got Saks Fifth Avenue, but at the exact opposite end of this thing. We have the Frozen 2 truck tour, which, which literally just came through uh, the Boston area the, the weekend that Frozen opened. They had them at well, one point, they had it, it was at Gillette Stadium, and they, they had them in Somerville at Assembly Square. But these are, are trucks that are skinned with, uh, and I guess there's four of them driving around the country. They've been hitting 
markets like Tampa, Houston, San Diego, and Philadelphia, and of course Boston. And what's kind of interesting is if you encounter the truck and go up, they'll they'll give you a copy, a, a, a double-sided mini poster for the Frozen 2 IMAX engagement, and uh, you can get some goodies that are uh, you know created for this film from Kellogg and Juicy Juice and. And by the way, right here on my desk, Drew, I, I've had this for weeks now, meaning to bring it up in the, show, the course of the show. I finally can talk about this thing and get off my desk. But the, the I swear to God, Kellogg's has put out Frozen 2 Collector's Edition cereal, which features leaf and Olap-shaped sh- marshmallows. Uh, well, <laughs> I know that you can't eat that. So what are you doing? <laughs> this is just $3 that was... Burning a hole I in your pretty pocket. much just okay. threw it in the street, but okay. it just, but it's, it's a honestly, it's a beautiful box. In fact, I, I would love to hear Katie's thoughts on it because it's a clearly elaborately printed because mm-hmm. it's got kind of a holographic element that if you shift the box back and forth, you can see, you know, uh, the the elemental shapes and snowflakes, you know, sort of glittering below, and Elsa's on one side and is on the other. Olaf is off to the side and. Oh, 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 speaking of Olaf, did, did you catch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade th- this year? Or Well, I turned it on, but it was so irritating that I had to turn it off. I mean, I don't know who, I don't know how anyone, including you, Jim, watches this thing for hours on end, especially with uh, what's Al Roker in a bicycle helmet getting harassed by Butter and old old man Chicago playing a song. I mean, I, it was just too much for me, Jim. Well, no, no. You have to understand the key to watching Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is, is you're not really watching it. You're cooking. Right. You're preparing food. And every so often you'll sort of look over and you're like, well, what's going on? And, you know, some, some again, you're right. There'll, there'll be some sort of weird thing where, where Al Roker's about to get in a street fight with the guy dressing as a, dressing as a <laughs> right. stick of butter. Right. That, that was, I know, that I know how weird. much you love out-of-context Broadway musical performances, Jim. It's, well, the, it's it, the cast of Beetlejuice. Oh, my but, God. But, but the interesting thing is they rewrote the, the opening number for the show so it, it entirely referenced Thanksgiving. You know, that in fact, there was a, at one point there was a lyric to the fact that, yeah, it's a weird day to die, but on the other hand, you get out of washing the dishes. So, um, <laughs> it, it, and you know, the, they, they did the exact same thing at the Tonys. They created a version of the opening number that referenced that they were at the Tonys. And I, again, we were just talking about promotion. Whoever is handling the promotion for Beetlejuice is a genius because. The the irony is, what was it? Um, Tootsie took home more awards than uh, than Beetlejuice, but Tootsie is closing in January, whereas Beetlejuice actually sold so many tickets on the back of the successful number that was presented at the Tonys that they basically did the same number again, only this time at Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, figuring that there were all these people sitting at home, you know, just like you mentioned, Drew, sort of, you know, kind of watching this car wreck of a, a holiday special. And it's just sort of like, well, that kind of looks like fun. And, you know, it's like, okay, you know, we're taking the, you know, the family wants to go into New York around the holidays to see a show. And are the tickets available at Beetlejuice? And um, they, it looks like Beetlejuice is actually going to wind up being, this huge, uh, you know. Oh yeah, I, I saw that they're like they're like sell, breaking records for the theater every week. It's crazy. They are, but they went. I mean, they literally would. I guess 
they didn't get strong enough reviews. They didn't have a strong enough advance. They were within weeks of closing, but they did that. They, they rolled the dice. They did that one number on the Tonys, and that's what turned it all around. Whereas, you know, the folks who, from Tootsie, you know, even today, you know, a lot of folks in promotion, it's like you picked the wrong number. You know, if you if, if you'd done the right number on that show, coupled with the awards, you would be running now. But again, the clo- show's closing in January. Well, let me tell you, all, all Tim Burton-based musicals are not created equal, Jim. As someone who sat through the the Big Fish musical a few years oh. ago. <laughs> Woof. What? Really? The, the dancing elephant backsides weren't entertaining? <laughs> I mean, the sets were beautiful. That's all I gotta okay. say. The sets were beautiful. But right. other than that. But anyway, okay. what else well, What else happened anyway, during this? Get, getting back to... And only entertainment you can see in New York. Of course, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is famous for its balloons, and uh, there was a, a lot of controversy the day or so beforehand because the the weather, and in fact, the weather that was heading our way, that's it's happening right now, uh, about whether it was going to be too windy to bring the balloons out. Yeah, and, they were very low to the ground, I noticed. Oh, I, God, I, I saw the, uh, I saw the um, speaking of animated things, the Snoopy in yep. Space uh, balloon was like it was like just above the ground. Uh, no, that's it exactly. And I love that you brought that up because the Olaf balloon, which by the way, Chris Buck, uh, co-director of Frozen and Frozen Two, uh, designed, and it's sixty feet long, fifty-nine feet wide, and it takes ninety handlers to to control, even under the best of conditions, and. So again, I, you know, same thing. The orders were okay. The balloons can be in the parade, but they have to be low to the ground. And so they have what they ended up doing with Olaf is basically they are dragging him through the streets face down. You know, in fact, it, uh, if you were watching the Macy's parade, he had him so low to the ground that his his carrot nose, which I, I'm always fast, you know, always find these these fact sheets hilarious, but it's just sort of like Macy's put out a fact sheet to the victim, you know, Olaf's nose is three uh, snowboards long, uh, <laughs> but it's dragging the ground, and you know, it, it, to the point where it, you know, it seriously looks like Olaf has just been caught shoplifting at, at you know, the the Macy's flagship on 34th Street, and you know the NYPD has wrestled him to the ground and is about to cuff his little wooden arms. Uh, <laughs> but but again, that's all part of Disney's promotional effort for Frozen Two, and and why we're still headed out to theaters. Um, and it's I, I just have to admit I, I was kind of thinking, <laughs> wondering what Josh Gad was thinking, but, uh, you know, because especially, I guess, uh, did you see the tweet where I guess Adina Mazel was appearing in the, uh, on the float that was going to be directly behind the Olaf balloon in the parade. And Adina was like, geez, I hope he's not gassy. And you know, Josh came back. I make no promises. <laughs> uh, well, so. nobody has been trumpeting frozen Two quite like Josh Gad on Twitter. I mean, I have to admit, I, I have been enjoying it, uh, and I, I have to admit, I, I was pleased for him to see when the, the Annie nominations came out uh, just yesterday, and uh, he got, uh, what is it, he, he got a nomination for Best Voice Acting in a Feature, along with, uh, what is it, Jenny Slate, who voices Gidget in Secret Life of Pets 2, and Tony Hale, who does Forky in Toy Story 4. What are your thoughts on on the any nominations this year, Drew? Because I know you have to be, I mean, like me, kind of upset that 
Primal, Gennady Tartakovsky's thing for uh, Cartoon Network didn't seem to get any love. Yeah, I don't understand. That was really my my biggest, like, what WTF moment. Um, because it's like, why, why go out on a limb like that? Why do something that is so purely, obviously aimed at animation fans when it's not going to be acknowledged at all mm-hmm. i think it's it, it was a travesty i cannot believe that it was not nominated i don't think it was nominated for anything um yeah i was i was i was just going through the list this morning before you know we started to record and didn't see anything yeah on, on the other hand you know you, you have to acknowledge that times are changing when you look at the fact that here's netflix with 36 nominations, and that that's the studio that got the most. I mean, Disney was second with 28, and as Cartoon Brew pointed out in its coverage of the nominations, quite a step down for Disney, because what was it? Back in 2018, they got 42 Annie nominations. Yeah, well, have you watched I Lost My Body yet? No, okay. no, that, that's, that's, again, you know, that's, I had to watch, you know, Noel and Lady and the Tramp, and after Noel, I had to lie down for a while, because, you know, <laughs> you, you don't get over a movie like that very quickly. Right. You know, just, uh, so, um, for me, again, I, I love the fact that, like, uh, which had to be feel kind of bruised this summer, given, you know, how poorly, you know, Missing Link performed at the box office. You know, that got lots of love from the Annie nominee committee. In fact, that film got eight nominations in the feature character category, which was equal to what Frozen 2 did. Yeah. Um, and and I know we were talking about this on just on the, the last show about Jon Favreau's uh, Lion King and how Disney keeps insisting that isn't an animated feature. They group it in their live action category. And and the Annie nominated committee, you know, it's like, okay, fine, sure. That's what you say. We're not nominating it for anything, you know. And who was the gentleman who voiced Timon? Billy. Billy Eichner. Yes. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry, but you know, shouldn't they have at least nominated him? I mean, he he He's put amazing. a really yeah fun spin on that character. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I just you know look again. I was glad to see Klaus get is gonna do as well as it did. Likewise, to me personally, as a fan of Mau Mau, Heroes of Pure Heart, it was nice to see that get some recognition on the television side of things for its production design. But at the same time, you were just talking about the the How to Train Your Dragon Homecoming special. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it just it always kind of intrigues me to see something get nominated that hasn't been shown publicly yet. Right. Right. You know, I mean, sort of like uh, Spies in Disguise. I mean, Spies in Disguise snagged a, a nomination for Best Design in a Feature. And, and yet, you know, I mean, that film won't be out in theaters for three weeks yet. And as I understand it, they're still tweaking it. So, you know, does it make sense that something that literally is still a work in progress can be screen for award consideration? Well, I mean, maybe that's the thing is like, maybe the editing wasn't finished and some other things are finished, but you can see the characters, I guess. So you say, well, it can be a character design. We can nominate it for Mm -hmm. that. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I was also a little disappointed that Josh Cooley didn't get nominated for directing Toy Story 4 because I thought he did a really amazing job. He really pushed the visuals in a really interesting way, and um, yeah, I, I'm very disappointed in that because I think he did yeah. he did an awesome job. But no, that's I, me. I have to agree. Given given how that 
landed. You know, the, the, particularly that last, that last 15 minutes or so were just, in the end, you're, I'm going to have no problem slotting Toy Story 4 right alongside the first three films. You know, that they had, you know, they still have that, that wonderful emotional resonance. And, and you're right, Josh did some great work there, but um, I don't know, you know, just, I, I also have to wonder, given in a year where, you know, Lego Movie 2, the second part, and, uh, you know, uh, Secret Life of Pets 2, and Toy Story 4, and Frozen 2, that, that, you know, in a year with this many sequels, you know, the, the folks at the end is, at some point, you know, in order to create space to honor things like, uh, I Lost My Body. And Klaus, you know, just sort of like somebody's got to not be recognized. And I, I, unfortunately, you know, that Josh, you know, found himself in that, that crunch position. Um, it's a, it's a very back, interesting year. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, getting back to Spies in Disguise for a moment. Um, I, I wanted to ask, have you seen the most recent trailer for the Spies in Disguise? Um, it has this very Mission Impossible gag moment in it where there's a, a sports car kind of spinning out of control, sliding sideways toward the hero uh, with his front door open and at the very last moment he just sort of bends over and slips into the driver's seat and the door shuts behind him and he drives off but it's just, mind you of course if Tom Cruise were doing it, you know, in one of the Mission Impossible movies, he'd have to run for a great distance before this happened. Right, right. Uh I, I just I'm fascinated by how, how Hollywood works because the Playmobil the movie trailer had the exact same gag, and it's like you know the, I mean the same exact setup you know a, a secret agent you know stepping off a you know a sports car spinning toward him with the door open and the same thing just effortlessly steps into it and drives off and it's just sort of like how is it that you know, this specific <laughs> gag winds up in two animated features basically coming out in the same window of time. I mean, Jim, who knows? I mean, maybe they shared some personnel, but maybe we have a little bit of a, uh, you know, Aladdin slash Richard Williams uh, thief in the cobbler scenario too. We know, we don't know, Jim, we don't know what happened. That, that is a very interesting point. <laughs> Speaking of which, though, uh, we've got the brand new trailer for the James Bond No Time to Die dropping on Good Morning America tomorrow morning. Uh, have you heard anything about, you know, because face it, we now have two Mission Impossible movies looming. Uh, any news at all about teaser trailer or anything like that? No, or they what? haven't started shooting yet. Um, so it'll be a little bit, wa- a little while. But did you see the Black Widow trailer today? Because that that yes. that had very Mission Impossible vibes. I thought. Well, that's the thing, you know. Just sort of like, face it, they've now sort of set the template. Uh, you know, and, and and think about it. It wasn't all that long ago where it was born. It was sort of like redefining what we were going to, you know, yeah. thinking of the spy movies, and now. It really is, you know. It's like, how do we top what you know they've done, you know, with uh, Mission Impossible Fallout and you know that sort of thing. Should that theater in Universal be the Mission Impossible Stuntacular instead of the Bourne Stuntacular? I'm not here to say, Jim. I'm not here to say. I'm just gonna say mm-hmm. that that might be a more entertaining show for your, the theme park visitors in Orlando. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, Jim. Speaking of which, did you see that? I guess just this past week they sent out notice to 
annual pass holders at Universal, basically asking them if they wanted to be in the pre-show for the Born Stuntacular. Oh, God, no, I didn't. Say that. <laughs> what a what an honor. <laughs> so you're telling me you're not buying the plane ticket? No, though. no. Okay. <laughs> 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 All right, just asking. So, okay. Well, when last we talked, you you were headed out to to, to interview Paul Hirsch. By the way, I'm still going through his his memoir a long time ago in a cutting room far far away, and, and there's still so many amazing stories in that thing. Um, so, did did we get any cool new stories out of him? Or, or yeah, we did get some through? cool new stories. I mean, he he talked at length, and you'll love this, Jim, because I know that you and you and John Candy were tight. Back in the day, mm-hmm. but he yep. he talks about all of these scenes that they filmed for planes, trains, and automobiles that they had to cut, because mm-hmm. if you read in the book, the original cut was three hours and forty five minutes. Oh, so yeah. he taught. I mean, we were rolling just mm-hmm. Paul just recounting the things that they were doing in this these mm-hmm. scenes, and um, yeah, we we get a lot. We get into Mission Impossible, but we get into a lot of other things. You know, mm-hmm. Mission to Mars, all of this Brian De Palma stuff. Um, I don't think Paul had any idea that that movie was based on a theme park attraction, so <laughs> you'll appreciate that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, in fact, isn't that the one where he and De Palma have the falling out on? Yes, or? yeah, I think that... But that, now they're talking again, so it had really? a happy ending, yeah. Oh, good, yeah, good, good. Yeah. Okay. Because, uh, again, it, honestly, folks, it's an absolutely wonderful book that that touches on so many, uh, you know, classic films. And again... In fact, what's what's kind of intriguing is that that planes, trains, and automobiles really has become sort of a, a, a holiday favorite, and and that section where it talks about how Paul literally figured out how to turn this into a movie, this this you know the the you know all of this footage, and in fact, again, I, I think we talked about it last show about. All of that stuff of of Steve Martin looking at a train window pensively, yeah, and you know, and how that literally became the key to solving the movie. But anyway, don't want to spoil it. Just go pick up a copy of that, or more to the point, go listen to Light the Fuse, a, a wonderfully entertaining podcast. I, on the other hand, we have some other podcasts here at Jim Mill Media. We got Disney Dish with Lentesto. We got Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. If you're really um, bored, you watch you listen to the Dan Z one. If you literally have nothing else going on in your life, you listen to Danzi. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're off the Christmas tree. Okay, uh, we 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 got Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams. We got uh, the Universal Joint Podcast that I do with Dustin Fuse, and we have our Disney Merch Podcast. I want that with Michelle Valladolid. Uh, tell you what, if you could do Drew and I a favor and head on over to iTunes uh, and rate and recommend not only uh, this podcast, but Light the Fuse, uh, that helps us get additional ears and eyeballs. Uh, on the other hand, if you really, really, really like what you're hearing on fine tuning, please head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. And provided I can actually dig myself out from under all this snow, and it's still coming down, Drew. Uh, we will be back with a new show this time next week if I'm not eaten by mammoths. Um, anyway, till then, uh, thanks for listening. Have a good night.